0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. When I was in my early 20s, I got one of the rarest messages from the doctor that I ever heard or that you will ever hear. And that was, you need more salt in your diet. I went to him with a, just a routine physical and not the same doctor I go to now, but uh, went to him with, with a routine physical and everything checked out fine. He said, anything else going on? I said, yeah, I've got some mouth ulcers. I keep mouth ulcers all the time. So he started rattling off food. You like orange juice? Yeah, you eat a lot of orange juice. You like tomato products, tomatoes and you know Italian foods? Yeah, I like all that. He r- rattled off several things and yeah. He said, well... We could do some blood work to determine this, but I'll go ahead and tell you what I think is the case. Your system is too acidic. He said, everybody's body has a pH balance between acidity and alkalinity, between acid and salt, sodium. And he said, yours is very highly acidic. He said, you're probably going to go on proton pump inhibitors, um, Nexium, those kinds of things, earlier than most people do. And I did. I started on those in my 30s, in my late 30s. And he said, because of that, he said, do you salt your food? I said, no, I usually don't because I live with people with high blood pressure. And so you can't find a salt shaker around my house anywhere else. If you you were looking for one, well, he said, you need to start salting your food. So don't be afraid of salt. Salt your friend. He said, now, don't go overboard with it. You know, you don't want to get high blood pressure. Watch your blood pressure. Make sure your blood pressure stays low and it's still low to this day. But he said, salt is, is probably your friend in your diet for the most of your life. So he said, what I want you to do today to combat the the, the, the the ulcers in your mouth and those kind of things. He said, go get the biggest bag of potato chips you can find. He said, there's more sodium in a bag of potato chips than about anything you can get. Go get the biggest bag of potato chips you can find and eat the whole bag. He said, now, if you tell any other doctor, I told you this, I'll lie, and I'll, I'll, I'll deny it to, to their face, to yours, and anybody else. He said, because it's not the kind of counsel doctors give most of their patients. They don't tell them, go get more salt. It's usually less. But he said, you need more salt in your diet. Since that time... I've been salt in my food more and I've been watching my blood pressure and, and I still take proton pump inhibitors because I have a lot of acid in my system, but um, salt is something that, that I don't fear yet. We need a balance. We need that. All of us have a pH balance and he said, you're rare. He said, most people's pH balance is more high and alkaline and so they're prone to high blood pressure. And that's why they need to stay away from salt and you know, other kinds of things. He said, most people aren't as highly acidic as you are, but most folks are... Every, I mean, everybody has a pH balance. And so he said, you're, you know, we've, we've gone so, the pendulum has swung so far in the medical field away from sodium that, he said, and, and r- rightfully so because so many prepared foods that you get at a restaurant or at a fast food place or in a, if you buy food in, in a package, he said, it's probably got a lot of sodium in it to, to, to preserve it and all those kinds of things. He said, it's so he said, it's re- there's reason to be cautious about salt, but he said, salt is part of our friend. He said, we shouldn't totally avoid it altogether. We just need it in balance. And that brings us to tonight's text, this, this idea of salt and light in balance to each other and salt and light in balance to what we looked at last week. I think you're going to see um, to be really relevant. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to, to Matthew chapter 5. If not, the, the text will be on the screen that you can follow along with. And we're going to look at this, this next message in this series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. And... These are, as, as I shared with you last week, this is the most direct and most poignant teaching Jesus has ever done, yet, and probably ever in the Scripture. He lays it out here in very clear and succinct detail for folks. Now, last week it was very direct. Blessed are, We looked at all the, all the blessed attitudes, the blessed attitudes, the, these, these lowly attitudes, the meek, the, the lowly of heart, the pure in heart. And we looked at, at this, the, the, these, this lowly estate, and he, he was very direct about the blessing that comes from that, and we looked at that last week. This week, he, 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 or, or it's in the context of the same message. He's, he's, he's sitting there, and it's, it's seconds after what he's just said about, about being blessed, but he says what we're about to read here in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, three things I want us to see from salt and three things I want us to see from light that I think he points out in this text. What I hope you'll see this is in light of your life. Uh, We are, he he commands us here, that that followers of his are to be these kinds of things. We're to be salt, we're to be light. Great metaphors, but what does that mean? Let's dig in a little deeper and see what he's talking about. You are the salt of the earth. First of all, he's he's mentioning there in the the first part of verse 13 that salt is indigenous. It's natural. It's it's earth, it comes from the earth. It's indigenous to the earth. It's it's not something that's man-made, not something that's necessarily discovered but something that is, that is very natural in nature. Um, in essence, what he's saying, it's from here. You've, if, uh, if you're, if you grew up someplace else and you talk to a hillbilly from East Tennessee, you can probably tell quick and they can tell quick you're from someplace else. You know, we love you and we're glad you're here, but you're from someplace else. And so that, the idea that he's talking about here is this is native. Salt is a native thing. It should be uh, and the effect of salt in spiritually in our lives should be a native thing. It should be a, a natural thing. It should be indigenous to who we are in our DNA, not something we have to conjure up or something we have to prop up or, or learn necessarily or, or be trained in. He said it should be the natural outflow of who we are spiritually. Now, the real McCoy, I guess more or less is what he's talking about. And, and I, I saw a, a probably the clearest glimpse of this in, in my first trip to Nicaragua. We'll be going with the team the last week of June again. and my first trip there, uh, the area that we minister to with, with Eric and Melissa is uh, an area called Salinas Grande. It's a small town, and Salinas Grande in in Spanish means big salt or salt big. Uh, is their, their, how their verbs and nouns are put together. But it is that. And as soon as you get it's a coastal town, as soon as you get near the coast, you see these huge, huge just... Look like dugout fields with, uh, I guess it's I think it's Mylar actually that lines them. It's a rubber membrane that they've dug channels out to where the ocean will drain into these areas. The sun will dry the way, and, it's, and the, they just let in probably about three inches of water. And this is talk, I'm talking about as far as you can see in one direction or the other. Let the water in, they dam it back up. The sun drives the water out, and what you're left with is salt. And they glean all that sea salt off, and they do the same thing again. Now, that's seasonal depending on the tides and depending on how much salt is in the ocean, and they know that better than anybody else. They're there, and they do it all the time. But that town, that's their, that's their bread and butter for income, and the people work the salt. It, it, when it's out of season in, 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 the, in Salinas Grande, most guys either just sit around and drink or fish. So you see that it's very vital to their economy. And, I, and once you get there and you kind of see a picture of that, you think, man, this takes a lot of manpower to do something like this because this operation is I mean, it's a huge operation. Yes, it probably does. But when it's in season, they're making the most of it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. When it's not, they're not. But that is is—that is in their DNA. It's indigenous to who they are. In fact, the town's named after what they do. Uh, Grand Salt, Salinas Grande, Big Salt. We, this is the biggest salt uh, collecting uh, uh, operation in Nicaragua and in, in part in, in, the, in Middle America, Central America. And so... As I saw that, I thought, man, what a, what a great metaphor to teach uh, folks about the, the, the value of salt and the value of being salt in light in the world, how this scripture would come alive to these kind of folks. Um, I should have figured that out the first time I was there because I, I preached several messages in several churches, none of them about that, but this one will probably make its way there this summer. Um, there has to be evidence to our faith, in essence, is what he's saying here. There needs to be a natural outgrowth of who you are. That's what salt should do. It should be the natural seasoner to who you are. And it should be in your, doing, in your DNA. It shouldn't be something you have to conjure up. It should be authentic and real. People should recognize it as that. Secondly, not only is salt indigenous, but salt has a purpose. Look at the, the B part of verse 13. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This saltiness, salt is primarily effective in three areas. In this day and time, we found greater uses for it in our day. We'll talk about that in just a second. But salt in this day and time was primarily useful in three areas. It was useful, useful for seasoning it 's still useful for, useful for seasoning today. We use it in that regard to season foods to flavor foods um, to make foods better to make them more tasteful so it was used as a seasoning agent. It was used to preserve food uh, and other things besides food, even even they put part of the part of the burial uh, uh, things that they bury people with the 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 myrrh and the frankincense and those kinds of. Bombs, many of them included a heavy dose of salt um, for to, to, to bury bodies even as, as burial bomb, but they used it as preserves uh, to, to preserve food and to preserve other things. We still use it that way today. Uh, in fact, there are substitutes for salt that are used as preservatives now. We were talking this morning men 's Bible study <clears throat> I shared with the guys that we were talking about the effects of cancer and how 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 cancer is tied to so many things in our day and time. And, and uh, I shared with them a story that my grandmother told me years ago when, when cancer was just kind of getting a foothold in, a, in, in, the, in the healthcare. And she said, you know, I think a lot of these cancers are tied to packaged food. She said, in fact, if, if a food comes in a wrapper, it's not fit to eat, son. And I just kind of looked at her and said, okay, Granny, whatever you say. But that's, she, she was very vehement about that because of the chemicals that are placed in food to preserve it. So it will last long enough on the shelves for you not to get there and buy it. And there may be a lot of truth to that, um, but its salt was and still is used as a preservative. It's it's a lasting preservative and, t- and tends to last very long. In fact, um, probably in the last ten years, eight to ten years, you've seen lithium um, put in a lot of batteries. Lithium is a, is a, is a derivative of salt. It comes from salt, uh, and in fact, is a type of sodium. And it's put in batteries because it lasts longer. In fact, you, if you have a lithium battery, it'll last 10 times as long as a regular alkaline battery will last. And so as continued uses are found for salt, it, 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 is, it tends to make things last longer. It tends to go further. It tends to preserve deeper than anything else like it. So, thirdly, not only is it used for seasoning and preserving, uh, it's used for healing. And this was probably more prevalent in, in in generations past than it is today because we have so many medications and so many methods for, for healing. But in the Civil War, um, tons and tons and tons of salt was used when, in, to, to, to tend wounds uh, and to, uh, this may sound gross for you, but so cover your ears if you don't like gross things. But as as limbs were either blown off or blown beyond repair uh, and needed to be amputated, whether it was a leg or an arm, they would amputate that with a saw, pack it with... with so much salt that you couldn't see anything but the salt, and then wrap the end of that limb up. The salt would serve two purposes. It would serve to healing uh, to, to to kill any bacteria that may be in that wound or from dirt or whatever else. It would also serve to clot the blood, so that the healing could begin to occur on that nub, that arm, that leg, wherever it may be. And <clears throat> though that that may seem sound painful, you know, you, you, you can you, you can imagine what that salt feels like going into a, to a bloody wound it was very effective in that day and time and really the only thing they had to use in that day and time. It still is in our, in our day. I can remember uh, when I was probably about seven or eight years old, uh, taking a trip to the beach, cutting my foot on a shell. I don't know how I cut the top of my foot on a shell, but I cut the top of my foot on a shell and it was bleeding. My mom looks at it and says, "Well, go get in the water and play. You'll be all right. So I go in the water and play and I've, I'm playing around the water for, what I don't know, 30, 45 minutes an hour, come back out, not only is it not bleeding anymore, it's, it's already peak where it started to heal up from the salt water. And as I, as I thought about that experience uh, this week and, and, and that, in that day, I thought, man, God did a, an incredible thing about the healing powers of salt that he put in the earth that's a natural thing that we try and replace now with ke- so many chemicals that we use. But it was in that day and time and still is in our day and time very much a seasoning, a preserving, and a healing element to it. And we... I think we've gotten away from that some. We've gotten, um, we've gotten careless. I think oftentimes in our, and callous sometimes in our statements, in our, in our in the ways we communicate to a culture that's usually, honestly, is pretty dark and bleak. But we've gotten careless in the way we season it. We've gotten careless sometimes in the, in, in the things we say and the way we say them. And and, and your pastor as well is as guilty, if not more so than than anybody else on that. And I wonder how I, I wonder how often my comments, my thoughts, my ideas are seasoned, are filtered with some salt. I wonder how they feel, whether they wound or whether they heal, whether the things I say do that. I wonder whether the things we say as believers in our culture do that. We need to be careful. Um, sodium is a vol- sod- sodium's put in bombs, uh, you know, to make bombs in our day. It's a volatile thing. It can it can it can it can season. It can preserve. It can heal but it can also destroy and and wreak a lot of havoc if we don't know how to use it effectively. It has a purpose, and we need to understand it, and we do too. And I hope you can see the connection between this this illustration he's using and our own life. Thirdly, not only is it indigenous and, and has a purpose, it has a season. Look at the last part of verse 13. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. No longer good. What he means literally in that phrase is no longer good enough. No longer good enough to be used for seasoning, no longer good enough to be used to preserve, no longer good enough to be used to heal. Salt, he, he says there in that phrase, it's, it's to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It had a use even after, after it lost its saltiness. They would in this day and time take salt and throw it out in the street once it had lost its seasoning properties. What it did in the street was kept the dust down when it was hot and kept the mud down when it was wet. And so the more salt was in the street, the easier the street was to pass. And so people would throw their wasted and use salt in the street to use for that purpose. It no longer was seasoning, but it had a purpose nonetheless, even after its prime had gone. There's a lesson in that for you and I. There are seasons that God brings into our life where we have an incredible amount of influence. Our influence is maximized. You may be in one right now. You may have just come out of one, or you may be about to go in one. And I, as, as I've seen in life, this has nothing to do with age, because I've seen I've seen folks in their twenties who are extremely spiritually immature, but God will bring them into a place of incredible influence. And I'm thinking, they're pretty green, Lord. I mean, are they ready for? This? And He just uses them in miraculous ways. I've seen that. I've seen Him use people in their sixties and seventies who our culture would think, ah, oh, they're pretty well washed up. I mean, and through the, through the opportunity to mentor and, and come alongside folks that are younger than them and say, here's what this means. <laughs> when this happens, here's what this means. And kind of explain life to them. Boy, they're, they're used in a great way, and God uses them and, and uses their influence incredibly. Here's what I found in, in those instances and instances in between. It's really not age-related. It's seasons. God brings us through seasons where our influence is extremely significant, and he also takes us through seasons where our influence is, is really pretty dry. And he's sowing into us in those seasons to prepare us for the seasons where our influence is greater. And our our, our spiritual life is very much like that. Now, he doesn't desire it to be like this, but oftentimes it is because of our disobedience, because of our lack of faith, because of just the, the experience that he allows us to go through to trust him more down here so that we can bless him more up here. And so as our life cycles like this, there are seasons that cycle too, where he'll bring people into our life, whether... It's people younger than us, whether it's whether it's people within our own peer group that are, that are our own age. But he takes us through seasons in life where our influence is greater than others. We need to maximize that, and we need to recognize when it is. We can't maximize it unless we see it. We need to, first of all, see it and, and realize that salt has a season. We have a season of maximum effectiveness. And so those seasons that he brings into our lives, he doesn't throw us out in the, in the street otherwise, but... Those seasons that he brings into our life, he wants us to be salt in a great way in those seasons and be very influential in those seasons to heal, to preserve, uh, to to, to season, to make better, to make taste better. He wants us to use our influence spiritually in those seasons to maximize our faith so that people see him more. Here's something that's true 10 times out of 10. The enemy will tell you, I don't care who, who you are, what your spiritual level of growth is, the enemy will tell you that season for you is always tomorrow. What he'll tell you is, is things like this. You're close. You're close to bearing, bearing some influence around you. But you need to really keep your mouth shut and keep your faith to yourself because you need to pray a little more. You need to study a little more. You need to go to church a little more. You need to do a few more things, but you're this close. You know what happens? You pray a little more. You study a little more. You do church a little more. You get involved in a Bible study, and you really you want to put feet to your faith a little more. And, he, and then he tells you, he creeps up behind you and says, you're close. You're really close just a little more bible study and a little more and a little more It's tomorrow for you next next month next season next summer next 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 school year that's you know what he says next school year you're close you're not ready yet but you're really close if you hang on if you keep pushing keep trying he knows the seasons we have as effectiveness and he knows that if he can minimize the effectiveness of those seasons he's got us and his easiest way is not to tell us we're nothing his easiest way is not to tell us, you're never going to get there. Why don't you just chuck it, throw in the towel? His easiest way on you and I as believers to, to, to quelch our, or squelch our effectiveness is to say, you're this close. If you just read a couple more books, go to a couple more Bible studies, get a couple more Christian friends, have, have a couple more people praying for you, pray a little harder, you're close. Hang in there. Keep trying. Keep working. You're close. And step after step, he takes us season after season and, and we look at our lives 20 years later and he's telling us the same message he was telling us 20 years ago. You're this close. And we're, we're deeper in our faith than we've ever been. We're more potentially influential with our faith than we've ever been, yet we're believing the lie that we believe, 20, a 20-year-old lie that he started telling us 20 years ago. You're this close. Keep working at it. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. And I fear oftentimes that we miss opportunities. We miss seasons because we, we don't recognize the tactics of the enemy. And he's good at it. He's crafty. He knows the angles and buttons to push with us and how to get to us. Now, let's look at this idea of light. Light, first of all, verse 14 speaks to this. Light reveals the obvious. Look at what he says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The obvious thing. Our faith is to be obvious. It's to be noticeable. It's to be observable. It's to be lived out loud, if you will, on purpose with some intentionality and not backed into and we, to where someone accidentally sees our faith, they uncover it for the first time. He says, don't be, don't live your life that way. Live your life as a light that is obvious. Live your life that is, that is one that, that's done with intentionality. Should we carry it to obnoxious and offensive? No, we don't beat somebody over the head with our Bible or our faith or our belief. But he says it should be obvious, but stop short of offensive. Which, if it's offensive, the enemy will use it to, to greater gain then the Lord can use our obvious light. But on the other hand, should it be passive? No, not, a, not, not passive at all. He's saying it should be obvious. It should be noticeable. You don't, you know, uh, a city sit on a hill, everybody sees it. They recognize it. They understand what it is, who it is, what it's about. That's the way our life is supposed to be reflected. Christ is supposed to be reflected from us is that our faith is obvious. There's a, there's a difference in our faith being revealed and our faith being paraded. And our faith here that in the context of this verse is people, people see that light. The light is revealed in you. It's not paraded. You're not walking around the top of the hill saying, I love Jesus, you should too. No, they see that. It's revealed rather than put on display to say, look at me, watch me, here I am. There are two, two drastic differences between those two things. Not only does light reveal the obvious and, and, the, and, the, and the, the cutting there between, between which is which is, is the level of humility and pride that we have, whether it's paraded or whether it's revealed. Uh, and and that needs to be watched carefully. Exposes the hidden, the second thing light does. uh, Verse 15 speaks to the fact that it exposes the hidden. Look at what he says there. Neither neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Um, There's clear reason to expose hidden things, and the reason is so that you and people around you will not stumble over them. What I'm about to say may be to some of you offensive. It may be to some of you great news. Part of your role and my role as a believer is to reveal things to our culture that don't fit the Scripture. It's to reveal the hidden. It's to bring to light the things that will cause someone else or even ourselves to stumble. Now, we've got to be careful in how we do that. Because oftentimes how we've done it as believers is we point it to the individual that's in the wrong. Rather than behavior or the principle that's out of line, and there's a drastic difference between those two things, because God looks at the at the sin of the homosexual and the sin of the liar, the same. He looks at the sin of the prostitute, the sin of the the addict, and the, and the sin of of the of the of the, of the person who cheats on the test, the, the very same. And you see the difference between those two things is He looks at all of us as sinners who who need Him, and our sin is equal in his eyes. You and I need to, we need to learn to hone that craft of looking at the ability to separate the sin from the sinner. And speaking against the principle of the sin and exposing to our culture, bringing to light the principle of the sin, the principle that's wrong, not the individual that's wrong, the principle that's wrong because it doesn't line up with God's word. Here's what I, probably a better way to illustrate what I'm saying. According to this world, according to our culture, truth is a relative thing. It's relative, and right and wrong are they're they're situational. <laughs> Oftentimes, they're moving targets. Right and wrong, according to the world. Now, according to the world, I mean, according to the word, truth is absolute, and right and wrong have definitions. According to the Scripture, truth is an absolute thing, and right and wrong have def- definitions. According to our world, though. Truth is a relative thing, and right and wrong are situational things. How do we stand in the middle of those two things? He says, you stand there as a light that needs to be seen to reveal something that should keep somebody from stumbling over the very truth that you're holding to yourself. If you know the truth to be true and you don't speak it, you're causing yourself and maybe others to stumble. So how do we do that in light of not judging someone else's sin because we're sinners ourselves, yet pointing to the very wrong that will cause them and maybe us too to stumble? But that's a challenge. And I wish I could tell you, you know, you just do, do this and this and this. Now, it's all easy after that, and it's not. It never is. You know why? Because people are involved, and we all mess things up, and we're messy, and people are messy, and relationships are messy and inconvenient. And it's just hard to do. It's hard to, it's hard to stand on principle and say this behavior is wrong, yet this person is a person God, God loves. It's hard to do that politically. It's hard to do that socially. It's hard to do that, it's hard to do that period in our world to separate the principle of the wrong behavior from the person. yet He did that perfectly, and he calls us to do that too, as best we can, to expose the hidden. Thirdly, not only does light reveal the obvious and expose the hidden, it points to the source. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The source at that time was and is the flame, the source of light. Someone came along and, and improved the flame. Someone came along and, and, and created a, a glass globe to go around the flame, thinking that glass is reflective and it will reflect the flame and the, and the flame will be carried into, into broader areas than just the one area that the flame can, can illuminate. And that's where the lantern came to life. And, as, as, as you know, you clean the glass and clean the globes, and I never understood cleaning the glass with newspapers. But people did that. I mean, they cleaned glass globes with newspapers to, to get the, the soot and the smoke and stuff off the glass. And we put it over the lantern, and 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 the lantern would, would glow out into the room even more. And and what the what the the whole purpose of that was, though, the point was to reveal in the globe was to reveal the source. Still true in our day and time. You can pay, place a bulb uh, type glass around the wire element that's inside a bulb, and the the element is really where the light comes from. The, all, the, all the glass bulb does is illuminate what's already inside. Same thing's true of a fluorescent light bulb. You can take fluorescent gas and charge it at one end of a bulb, one end of the other, and that gas glows in there. But it goes nowhere if, unless there's glass around it to, to reflect the light back out in the room. Uh, light emitting diodes, LED light, does the same thing. The diode is a source of the light, but without a reflector around the diode, it goes nowhere. The light goes nowhere. So th- these these ideas of of reflecting the very thing that is the po- that points to the source, the source of the light, the LED, the fluorescent, the, the, the wire element inside an incandescent bulb, the flame in a fixture is what you and I are about. Our lives should reflect the source. They should reflect the flame. They, they, they should reflect the source of the light. You and I aren't the source of the light. You are just reflectors of the source of the light. And that's what he says that, should be revealed in our good deeds. He said, these good deeds that you have are reflections of the flame, the reflection of the source and your good deeds should point to the father. They should point back to the source of the flame. He's saying here in, in verse 16. Now, in, in essence, I guess he's saying, if you put it together in equation, our, our goodness should point to his light. Our goodness should point to the source of the light and we are, we are reflectors of that. Now, here's the thing I want us to see and take away tonight salt and light we can and we can pull a lot of metaphor from all of this and and i've you know thought about doing some of that and i thought well that's not what god wants us to hear what he wants us to hear is this i believe is that salt and light are are, are metaphorically di- di- very different and verses 13 through 16 are very different from what we looked at last week what we looked at last week was very if you look at if you remember i told you you know he's in fact i had somebody come up to me after church and said okay being blessed is still a good thing, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it is a good thing, being blessed is a good thing. What, what last week's text showed us though, is that if we're looking for to be blessed by how this world defines blessing, we're looking in the wrong direction. And that's really not where blessing is received. He doesn't define blessing that way. He defines blessing in how we looked at it last week in verses one through 11. He defines blessing in ways that this culture doesn't define blessing. So Yes, we're blessed if we seek these ways, not if we're seeking the ways of our culture. So being blessed is, is a good thing. It's just how where we're looking for it and who we're letting define it. But looking at last week's, um, his taking the, the lowly, the poor, the, the lesser looked upon and elevating them to a blessed place. He does something totally different this week and says, become more obvious with your faith. Be more relevant with your faith. Be more out there. Live on purpose. Live with some level of intentionality Realize the power of salt and the power of light in a culture that needs both salt and needs both light. If you'll understand the power you have to influence a culture that needs salt and light and you have both in you, he says, you're, you're blowing it. You need to see the power of influence and be that when the door is open to do that. Now, so what I want you to take away is this. Is salt and light are descriptive of one thing and they're descriptive of this, balance. A life that's out of balance will be all inward or all outward. The inward never gets out, and the outward eventually wears out of anything relative to say, and people stop listening to you because you're just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, as he talks about in in 1 Corinthians. So you and I need to see the balance of the blessed attitudes in verses 1 through 11 with the out there life that he wants us to live in verses 13 to 16. We also need to see the balance of salt, which is largely inward. It's largely about us. It's largely are we, are we being this seasoning, preserving, healing element in our culture with light that is more obvious and more seen and more exposed. So there is this balance of the inward in us and the outward in us and this balance in the scripture of the lesser and the greater, things that are seen. What he wants us to see is both are blessed of God. Both have their times. Both have their places. The lesser things I will exalt in my time. The more noticeable things... I will choose to, when, to, when to open the door for those to be seen to. It's not about parading your faith in, in an undivided place. It's about taking advantage of the opportunity that I give you, the doors that I open to you to step through. It's about you having the courage to step through them boldly, not with animosity, not with fear, not with, with anxiety, not with any sense of false humility, but step through them with the sense that I open them for you. Go through them. Now, is that an easy thing to do? No, it's not. It's not in our culture because the confusing thing is there's so many doors open to us in our culture that that are sometimes cracked open with a question in a conversation, or cracked open with a story in a newspaper, or cracked open with a with a with a dinner table discussion with a spouse or a friend. Or and, and was that an opening, God? Will you? Did I need to go through that? Did I miss it? Did I? Here's what I want you to hear from me tonight. More than anything else, these types of things. Um, allowing allowing the salt in us to penetrate the people around us and allowing the light in us to to penetrate the people around us is all the work of God. It's not anything that we have to labor at anything that we need to 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 be anxious about now should we should we Prepare ourselves. I mean, should we spend time in the Word? Yeah. Should we spend time in Bible study? Yeah. Should we spend time in worship? Should we spend time in fellowship with each other and and draw strength from each other? Absolutely we should. But it's God who opens those kinds of doors and God who creates the seasons where salt and light matter in somebody else's life that needs what we have to say, what we have to share, needs to hear those. There are times when others need to be salt and light to us too. (laughs) There are times when folks who are more seasoned in the faith than we are Need to come alongside us. We need that too. Every one of us needs somebody to put, our, put their arm around us and say, "You know, what? it's going to be okay. Hard times come. Everybody has. Everybody walks through through difficult places. It's, it's going to be okay. There's an end to this, and God has a. He's he's, in, he's got you in a season right now. Depending on Him heavily. Are you doing that? Are you seeing it? Now you're going to have a season where you can tell people this story, but it's not here today yet. You're still in the season of of, of a hard place, a hard time, and all of us have those places. Life has its cycles. Life has its seasons. That's why I say we all need a life of balance because if we're expected to live up here all the time spiritually and our life just is so reflective and everybody sees Jesus in us, sooner or later we get, we get empty and we got nothing to share. They're, they're, looking, at it, they're looking at a flame that's gone out because we've got nobody pouring into us. And then sooner or later, this person that keeps all this salt, keeps all this, this healing, keeps all this preserving, keeps all this, all this seasoning to themselves and never lets it out of their life, So many lives miss a blessing from that and we miss from being able to share it. So the key is seeing the opportunities when they come, seeing the seasons when he opens the door and being willing and having the courage to walk through them. The Beatitudes were less obvious, the salt and light more obvious. As far as personally, the salt is less obvious in our life and the light more obvious. This this idea of balance, I think, is something he's trying to drive home to these people sitting around the mountain hearing him teach. A life that's out of balance is going to reflect a greater need for me. A life that is in balance is going to reflect a greater walk with me because you realize that that life has cycles, that we can't all stay here, nor should we stay here. That life has cycles and life has seasons, and we walk through the hard places so that we, we can rejoice and reflect Him when times are clicking and life's going good. And we've probably got a room full of folks like that here tonight where some life's clicking for them and some... Life is uh, beating them down, seemingly. And the cycles that life takes are for these very things, for you and I to get this message of don't let it get out of balance. Don't focus on the suffering because a light-sharing time is coming. And don't don't rejoice so much in the light-sharing time because, you know what, you're going to be back down here to where you need some salt sewn into you again. So we need to to live and walk and work and and play and and, and reflect and, and share and live and love with a sense of balance to us. Um, because we are, we are not all that and never will be, nor are we put upon to stay there. It's, that's, that's the work of the enemy to tell us you'll never get out. You might as well just get used to where you're at because you never, that's the work of the enemy to, to, to tell us that and, and the work of the enemy to, to put us up on a pedestal and we wear out on the pedestal and we're thin, we've got nothing relevant to say anymore and he wants to keep us up there so that we're embarrassed and we'll never go back up there again. And what he's trying to say here, what the Lord's trying to say here is life cycles, and it ebbs and flows. And this this thing of salt and light, are both internal and external, that's a part of life. Feed on the internal when you're in the valley. You need it. Live the external boldly when you're not in the valley. They need it. That's what he's trying to say. If we'll get that, that'll be something other people want to see and share and live and be a part of and know about. If we don't, we miss a great deal of practical influence that He has right in front of us every day to people around us that need to see those kinds of things that are longing for them. They don't know how to put them into words, but are longing for them and can see them in, in you and I. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.